Well, good morning. Good morning, and welcome to our Easter celebration. So whether you're here in person, um, or whether you're joining us online, or whether you're watching it on our YouTube channel, um, we really pray that you'll encounter the risen Jesus as we worship together this morning. And if you're visiting us here, um, then a very warm welcome to you. It's great to see Prabhaka Solway with us. Uh, Prabhaka from India joining us today. That's great. <laughs> really good to see you. We've been praying for Prabhaka for some time, so it's really good to have you here with us, Prabhaka. And good to see some old friends. I think I saw Colin and uh, up there, Colin Maggin up there. Good to see you back with us this morning as well. So, and other friends as well. You're all very welcome. And if you are visiting us, um, or even if you're normal, normal, <laughs> normally here, uh, then please join us for refreshments um, in, in the hall. Sorry, that again? The sound is not at its best. You need to hear me. Can you hear me better now? There we go. So I was just saying, please join us for refreshments afterwards if, uh, if you're staying. So during this morning's service, um, we'll be celebrating Jesus' victory over sin and death. And we'll be sharing communion together as a whole family. So anyone of any age is welcome to join us as we as we share in bread and non-alcoholic wine. Anyone who believes and trusts in Jesus as their saviour um, is welcome to join us. And don't worry, I've cleared it with Michael and the BRBK team so they know um, that they'll have a shorter time with the children this morning. And if you're joining us online, then you might want to make sure you've got something uh, to use for bread and wine uh, as we share communion together later on. Let's stand together. The stone is rolled away, grave clothes neatly folded. No more the smell of death. Behold the empty tomb. Rejoice. Scripture has been fulfilled. The sting of death is gone. The victory has been won. Behold the risen Christ. Rejoice. The curtains torn in two. Our God invites us in Christ's sacrifice to wash away our sins. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.
Lord Jesus, we want to praise your mighty name. We come together this morning to worship you, you the risen Lord. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us. Holy Spirit, be here with us this morning as we worship you, as we worship the Lord. Amen. Please take your seats around. Familiar words from Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And as I was walking here this morning um, to, to, to get ready for breakfast, it was a bit misty this morning, and it just uh, something about it just kind of struck me. We read those words, don't we, every year. Um, but can you imagine what it was like? They just lost the man they thought was going to save the world. The total and utter confusion. And then they get to the tomb, and the angels are there. Well, the angel's there, and the angel says, he is not here. He has risen just as he said. He is not here. He is risen. How amazing that must have been, just to hear that. And so our next song picks up those words. Lo, Jesus meets us, risen from the tomb. Lovingly he greets us, scatters fear and gloom. Let's stand again. Thine be the glory.
please take your seats. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a passage Tim will be speaking on later on. God has done it all. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. And he has given us the work of making peace between himself and others. What we mean is that God was in Christ, offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world. And he has given us the work of sharing his message about peace. We were sent to speak for Christ. And God is begging you to listen to our message. We speak for Christ and sincerely ask you to make peace with God. Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. We work together with God, and we beg you to make good use of God's kindness to you. In the scriptures, God says, When the time came, I listened to you, and when you needed help, I came to save you. That time has come. This is the day for you to be saved. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you did not abandon us, but you, but you reached out to us when we most needed you, sending us your Son to bring us peace and forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you lived a perfect life, but you took our punishment upon yourself. Thank you, Father, for your gift of grace given freely to all who believe and trust in you. Amen. And so today truly is the greatest day in history. Death is beaten. You have rescued me. Let's sing it out. Jesus is alive. Let's stand.
Please sit down. So this, this is God's table. Come, all of you. You're invited to dine on the banquet of heaven. You are God's people. Come, all of you. You are invited to sit with your Lord. Here is God's feast. Come, all of you. You are invited to share in the bread and the wine. This is an open table, and all those who love God and seek to love him more are welcome. So come with your questions and your doubts. Come with all that you are and all that you long to be. For here we meet Jesus in bread and wine around a table that God has set before us. And your seat is waiting. Let's pray. Loving God, we confess that at times we do not share in the joy of the resurrection, but are caught in the worries of the world. We confess that we do not always live in the spirit of new life, but remain discontent, grumbling and anxious. We live in ways that make the here and now more important than the future. We live in ways that put ourselves and our own success first over the needs of others and the long-term needs of the world. Forgive us for not sharing the good news. Forgive us when we find it more comfortable to worry and complain than to risk the joy and encouragement of new life in Christ. Call us back to your ways, O God, to seek hope and reconciliation, restoration and peace. In the name of the risen Christ. Amen. In Colossians, Paul reminds us, you were dead because you were sinful and were not God's people. But God let Christ make you alive when he forgave all our sins. God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses. He took them away and nailed them to the cross. There, Christ defeated all powers and forces. He let the whole world see them being led away as prisoners when he celebrated his victory. Jesus is Lord. The tomb is gloriously empty. Not even death could crush this king of love. The price is paid. The chains are loosed. And we're forgiven. And we can run into the arms of God. Let's stand and sing. Jesus is Lord. Yeah.
Can you join me? On Thursday night, on the Thursday night before the first Good Friday, Jesus gathered with his friends in an upper room. They shared a meal together. Then as darkness fell, Jesus broke some bread. some wine and asked his friends to remember him every time they broke bread together. And because we're his disciples today, we remember that story and how it continues in this place today. And we remember Jesus as we we break this bread together and share this wine with each other. We're doing as Jesus asked us to do and we're glad to do so. Great God, of all the things you have created, we take the simplest food and find you among us as we eat together. In the great story of Jesus, we hear your love for us being retold and we remember all Jesus has done for us because of that love. Through the Spirit, you set this bread and wine apart to be used only as an image of you and your love for us for this gift of bread and wine that reminds us of all those other gifts you've given us and all that you've done for us. We thank you. Thank you that you've called us your children, sharing with us a love that is more powerful than the universe and that you sit here with us, alongside us, blessing us in bread and wine. Amen. So today we're going to serve the bread and wine together. Uh, Please take the bread as it's served to you um, and eat it and then keep hold of the cup and we'll drink together later. I'm going to play a short video um, whilst the the worship group are being served and then we're going to sing a song um, which some of you will know and if you'd like to join in feel free to do so or just sit quietly. So we'll say we'll serve the bread and the wine together and then keep the cup and we'll drink together later. This is a story about love. Love that came down from heaven. Love lived with us. Love spoke. Love healed. Love drew crowds. Love changed lives. Love made waves. Love was bold in the face of enemies. Love was true, no matter the cost. And love was faithful. Love prayed 
listened and obeyed. Love knew what had to be done and did it. Love was betrayed and abandoned. Love was silent when wrongly accused. Love was whipped. Love was beaten. Love was tortured and mocked. But love was strong. Love dragged itself to a cross and laid down willingly to be insulted, shamed, nailed, stabbed, ripped, abandoned, and killed. Love hung from nails as the crowd looked on. And God looked away. Love denied comfort. Love refused rescue. Love courageously did what love had to do. Love sacrificially did what only love could do. Then love took one last breath. And finished. Love gave his life. Love paid our debt. Love saved us all. Even when we were not worth saving. That's real love. That's real love. That's real love. That's real love.
Jesus Christ, our King, is risen. Sound the trumpet of salvation. Rejoice, O earth, in shining splendor, radiant in the brightness of your King. Christ has conquered. Glory fills you. Darkness vanishes forever. This is the day when Christ broke the chains of death and rose triumphant from the grave. This is the day truly blessed when heaven is wedded to earth and all creation is reconciled to God. Therefore, Father, in the joy of this day, receive our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Let's drink together in celebration of Jesus' victory over death. Lord God, thank you that in the raising of Jesus to life, you have broken the chains of sin and death and opened for us the way to forgiveness and new life in you. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your victory and we worship you as our eternal Saviour, Lord and King. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us with the power of the resurrection that we might live in the joy of new life. Amen. And as we're still gathered around the communion table, Sue's going to come and lead us in prayer. For those of us who have busy and active bodies, I'll suggest some big actions or postures to help us embody our prayers. For those whose bodies don't want to move quite so much, there are less exuberant postures. Please join in or not um, with whichever helps you to pray. There will also be some short silences for us to add personal details or specific um, things that God has laid on our hearts to our prayers. So let's praise. I invite those who want to, to stand, lift up their arms and their hands to God, or to sit and hold your hands, palms upright, offering our praise to God. Lord God, on this Easter day, we praise you for Jesus, for the work of salvation achieved by his death on the cross. We praise you for raising him from the dead and for the free gift of eternal life you offer each one of us. We praise you for your love for us, for your grace offered to us, and for the Holy Spirit who can live within us, leading us to know and understand your truth and how you want us to live. We praise you, Lord. Amen. We often fall short of who God wants us to be. To confess this and ask for forgiveness You may want to kneel if you have space, or to sit down and put your hands on your knees and bow your head.
Lord God, we confess we do not live up to who you call us to be in Christ. There are so many ways we let you down by what we do, say, or think. There are also so many times when we fail to do, say, or think good and positive things. We confess our part in not looking after your world when we choose to have more than our share at the expense of other people and your creation. Thank you that in Christ you offer forgiveness to us and all the people of this world. Amen. Let's pray for the world. You may want to stand or to sit for this and either hold out your arms as if to embrace the world or cup your hands as if carefully holding the world. Lord God, your world is precious to you and its people are loved by you. We bring to you those suffering in places where there is war or conflict. We pray for peace. We bring to you those suffering where there are and have been natural and man-made disasters or ecological challenges, places where there are droughts, floods, harvest failure, earthquakes. We pray for relief, help and support to reach those in need. We bring to you world leaders, governments and councils who make decisions which affect us all. We pray for the wisdom needed to make just and wise laws. Lord, we bring you our world and its people. Show us how to do our part in caring for it and sharing your message of peace. Amen. To pray for those we know and love, I invite you to sit and put your hands to your heart. Lord God, bless those we know and love, our families and friends. Those who are ill. Those who are grieving. Those who are celebrating. 
those who do not yet know you as their saviour. Jesus, help us to speak for you to those we love. Amen. Now let's turn our hands up to God to receive his blessing and his strength. Lord, you have given us the task of making peace between you and others. Please give us the strength, wisdom and desire to do your will. Bless each of us as we seek to follow your way. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so before Tim comes to speak to us, we're going to sing one more song. A song that reminds us that Jesus is our living hope. And as we sing it, um, it'll be time for those who are going out to, to the kids' club to, to leave us. Just, just want to just bring some, I'm just going to one line out of this, which I, those, those that I play and sing with regularly will know that you know, music has a certain impact upon me from different, at different times. And there's a line in this song which I cannot sing without choking up every time. Um, the cross has spoken. I am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own how amazing is that so let's stand and sing how great the chasm Jesus Christ my living hope
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a risen Lord, that we don't worship a dead man on a cross, but we worship the risen Saviour who brings us life. Amen. Amen. Please proceed. David, bless you. Thank you very much indeed. This is the day for you to be saved. Christ is risen from the dead. On Friday, we put the Son of God to death. But on Sunday, God responds by raising his Son from the dead and raising us to live with him. Easter Sunday is the great reversal of Good Friday. We inflict death on God. He responds by giving us life. We reject him. He accepts us. We express our hatred towards him. He responds with unconditional love. We condemn Christ to death. He acquits us of all wrongdoing. We treat God as our enemy. He responds by reconciling us to himself and treating us as his friend. We treat God in the worst way imaginable and he responds in the best way possible. We see the depths of human degradation and the heights of God's goodness. That's the miracle of Easter. Most of us are familiar with Isaac Newton's third law of motion. For every action or force in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. If object A exerts a force on object B, object B also exerts an equal and opposite force on object A. Well, at Easter, the same law applies in the spiritual realm as well. Easter reveals humanity's fundamental no to God, and the equal and opposite reaction is God's answering response of yes to us. In the crucifixion, we say no to God, unmistakably, irrevocably, that we want nothing to do with him. And he responds by saying that we mean everything to him. We we won't take our no for an answer. Instead, he welcomes us into his family. God's reaction to us is precisely the opposite way of the way in which we treat him. That is grace. If you're with me so far, let's pause for a moment to consider the wonder of applying Newton's third law of motion, third law of motion to God. If object A exerts a force on object B, object B also exerts an equal and opposite force on object A. For that to work with God, that means if we are object A and God is object B, we have the capacity to exert a force on God. We have the capacity to make a difference to God, to affect God, to change God. But the idea that we, human beings, could make a difference to God is actually quite a radical one. For that to be the case, God would need to be vulnerable. 
And a lot of philosophers and theologians shy away from that idea. You get the doctrine that God is impassable and immutable, that God cannot be changed or moved in any way. The, the great unmoved mover. He is so far above us, so remote from us, so distant from us that nothing we could ever do would ever make a difference to him. To be divine is to be unchangeable. But that is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. On Good Friday, in the Passion of the Christ, we see God becoming completely vulnerable to us. We have the power to change God, to injure God, to hurt God, to abuse God, to kill God. And we use that power when we put Jesus to death on the cross. You can see Newton's law of motion in action on the billiard table as you watch balls cannoning off each other. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You can display that when you play billiards. Yet something far more profound and mysterious happened on Good Friday. Because our behaviour towards God didn't simply hit him on the surface and rebound back towards us. It's only because Christ absorbed our hatred into himself that he was able to transform it and project it back out again as love. It was only by dying on the cross that he could transform death into life. It was only by becoming sin that he could change us into the righteousness of God. It was only by undergoing destruction that he could bring us salvation. It was only by taking upon himself our rejection that he could release the power of reconciliation into our lives. Make no mistake, on the cross we changed God. But even as we changed God, he changed us. And on Easter Sunday, as God raises Jesus from the death we inflicted on him, that is a sign and demonstration that his life-giving love is more powerful than our death-dealing hatred. And that is why today, the day of resurrection, Easter Sunday, that is why today, this day, is the day of salvation. Hallelujah. But, what does it mean to be saved? Salvation is one of those Christian jargon words, part of the vocabulary we use in church because we understand it well enough, but which leaves many ordinary people scratching their heads. What do you mean, saved? In the Christmas stories, some of us will be familiar with the angels saying that the baby born to the Virgin Mary must be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But how in practice? And if we start to try and explain ourselves by saying, well, Jesus had to die so that God had, could forgive our sins, many people struggle to make sense of that kind of language. What is going on? If we want to talk about what it means to be saved, one way of trying to understand this would be to think about, well, what does it mean not to be saved? So courtesy of an online thesaurus, I found eight antonyms 
of the word saved, eight opposites of being saved, and I'd like to reflect on those with you just to unpack what it means for us to be saved. Number one is insecure. If we are saved, that means we will not be insecure. Not the most obvious of antonyms, perhaps, but first on the list, and actually quite profound. If I am saved, I am secure for eternity on a daily basis. Whatever comes at me, my security is in God and that security rests on the knowledge of God's unconditional love for me. I know who I am. In terms of my own personal identity, I am a child of God and that remains the case in the face of failure or rejection, attempts to damage my reputation or standing in the eyes of others, knowing I am saved is a stronghold against any attempt to attack or undermine my identity. If I am insecure, then in the cut and thrust of 21st century living, I am done for. But if I am saved... I am safe, and Christ is my security. Number two, the opposite of saved is unprotected. And if I'm saved, I am not unprotected. We protect what's precious to us, because we don't want to lose it. What would you rescue from a burning building? the things that matter, the things that are irreplaceable. And in someone we lo- if someone we loved was inside, then no object would matter as much to us as getting them to safety. We protect what is precious to us because we want to keep it safe. We protect the people that we love. And God loves you with all his heart. If I'm in danger or in trouble, I know that God will not abandon me. He will shield me and keep me safe. And this doesn't mean that no harm will ever come to me, but whatever I face, I know his loving presence with me. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He covers you, protects you, guards you, because you're precious to him. That doesn't mean that harm will ever come to you, but it does mean that he'll be with you to shield you and carry you through. Thirdly, if I am saved, then I am not lost. We use the word lost to talk about lives being lost in a tragedy. Those who were not rescued lost their lives, we say. But in Jesus, God mounted a rescue operation to save you from death. That's what makes him your redeemer. When Jesus died, he invaded the realm of death and conquered it, setting us free from its power. His resurrection opens the door to eternal life so that our lives don't finish as a dead end. That's why if you entrust your life to him, you will not be lost to death. You will be saved for eternity. 
The good news still holds good today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will not be lost. Your life will be saved, kept, preserved. Then number four, if I am saved, I'm not destroyed. And we come very close to some of the language Paul explicitly uses about salvation here. The idea, that, the idea that judgment day will be a day of destruction as God unleashes his anger against all the injustice and evil in the world and wipes it out. And if God called time tomorrow on the present age and held you to account, where would you stand? What about all the unfinished business? All those things you've been meaning to put right and which you've been putting off instead. The things on your conscience, all the things that would be on your conscience if you hadn't locked them away somewhere. If there are things like that in our lives, then the prospect of such a day when God holds the world to account might fill us with dread. But Paul is quite clear that Jesus, as our Saviour, is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. He is the one who clears your name, whether you deserve it or not, brings you safely through judgment, delivers you from death into the life-giving presence of God. You do not need to fear the judgment because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you might deserve condemnation, but Jesus took that. You are not destroyed because Christ was destroyed for you. Number five, if I'm saved, then I'm not ruined. A ruined life. Spoilt, damaged, hurting, broken. But in the loving, powerful hands of Christ, no life is damaged beyond repair. However great the wreckage of our lives, God is able to rebuild and restore us again because Jesus was broken with us and for us on the cross. And the power that raised the broken, tortured body of Jesus from the grave is able to make new, you new as well. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. You may think your life has been ruined, but God knows better. Give the shattered bits to him and let him rebuild you again. The resurrection of Jesus shows his power to bring life out of death, to rebuild ruins into something glorious again. Number six, if something is saved, then it isn't spent. And this, this belongs to the realm of finance, really. If you have money, you can either spend it or save it. But the same goes for any kind of resource. You can expend it or conserve it. But what if I've run out of resources? What if I am spent what if I feel I've had enough, I can't go on, I've reached the end of the road, there is no future left for me? God says that's not the case. 
The resurrection of Jesus means there is new life for you. His resources available to you. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And you may have no resources of your own left, but God offers you the limitless resources of his grace. These will be enough to get you through one day at a time. In Christ, God offers you strength beyond your own. But what about number seven? If I'm saved, then my life has not been squandered. Maybe you look back over your life and see an unrelenting series of bad decisions, reckless behaviour, missed opportunities, broken relationships. But to be saved from that means that my future is not determined by my past. The person I will be will not be decided by the person I have been. God can turn your life around and give you a new direction, changing the orientation of your life away from heading towards death and back towards himself, the source of life. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been, precisely for people who squander their lives, that Jesus laid down his life, taking upon himself the consequences of our catastrophic choices giving us the freedom and the capacity to start to choose the good instead. To live life differently and live it well. And lastly, if I've been saved, then my life hasn't been wasted. To look back over your life and feel it's been a waste of time, that's a crippling experience. But God overturns that verdict. Promise of the prophet, I'll give you back the years that the locust has eaten. Your life has value. Because God loves you and he gave his son to redeem you from futility. The waste of the past. Give you a sense of identity and purpose. A point for your future. What's it mean to be saved? Any or all of those things. And I don't know whether any of this connects with you. I just speak what I feel God gives me to say. But if anything I've said has hit home, if you sat there thinking, oh my word, how did you know that about me? Well, I didn't. But God did. Maybe God's been talking to you this morning. And if he's been talking to you, that's because he gave his son for you. And he wants today, this Easter Sunday, to be your day of salvation. And if that's the case, then don't leave without talking to someone about it, praying with someone about it here at the front of church. There'll be people available to pray with you. Or maybe just praying a prayer, placing your life in God's hands. Entrusting yourself to him. God says, through Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, in a favourable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. Well, look, this can be the favourable time because Jesus is alive. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day for you to be saved.
God gave his son for you, raised him from the dead for you. Will you entrust your life to him? Let's stand and declare together, Jesus Christ is risen today. to bless each other with the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. <laughs>